Hi there. I would like to update you on N-Square, the conference we've been talking about it on this podcast. I'm really proud of the great programming, exceptional speakers, and unbelievable excitement we generated for N-Squared. However, the raging COVID Delta variant and the uncertainty it poses on travel and safety across the nation have made us rethink whether our celebration and excitement should be put on hold. We have decided to move the meeting to February 24th, 2022, which also happens to be Steve Jobs' birthday. Steve Jobs believed in the power of technology for transforming education. He will remain the pioneer for mobile technologies for generations to come. And he has been my role model for innovation, entrepreneurship, and end-to-end integrated design. I would like to celebrate his legacy by discussing the future of education at N Squared on February 24, 2022. You can find more information about N Squared at nsquared.events. Again, that's nsquared.events. I look forward to seeing you in February. Stay safe and stay healthy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Kortala. I have a very, very accomplished and exciting guest for us on the podcast. His name is Michael London. Michael has more than 20 years of professional accomplishments and in edtech innovations. Michael London is recognized as a premier education technology entrepreneur. In 2013, Michael founded Examity, a world leader in learning validation and online proctoring. Over a five-year period, the company grew to more than 1,000 employees and $30 million in revenue. Prior to the founding, he was a CEO for Bloomberg Institute, funded by Mayor Bloomberg and Bloomberg Ventures. Their flagship solution was offered in more than 500 universities and 45 countries within the two-year period. Previously, he has led corporate strategy and growth for Kaplan. His earlier successes include co-founding College Coach and Ed Assist, both acquired by Bright Horizons in 2016. In 2019, Michael was a finalist for the EY Entrepreneur of the Year and held a position on the Massachusetts Governor's Commission for Digital Education and Lifelong Learning. Michael is a current trustee at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and the River School, as well as the member of the advisory board at Babson College, where he graduated with honors. He's also received his MBA from Boston University. Michael, welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So, Michael, let's get right into it. You have a lot to offer with being a leader at Examity and currently at UWIL. You not only know the fundamentals and foundations of a student, but also what they deal with with respect to their life. For example, Examity is not just about online proctoring on online validation, but also understanding the students' feelings and sentiments, if you will. But your latest initiative, you will, is something I want to talk about. But before we do that, I want to talk about the real pandemic or epidemic that's plaguing higher education students. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. According to 2018 and 2019, student surveys from the American College Health Association, ACHA, has said that about 60% of respondents felt 
overwhelming anxiety, while 40% experienced depression so severe that they had difficulty functioning. A 2019 Pennsylvania State University study noted that demand for campus mental health services piked by 30 to 40% during a period that saw only 5% increase in enrollment. These statistics on mental health challenges on college campuses are overwhelming and appalling. Can you tell me a little bit about the mental health crisis plaguing colleges? I can, and I should probably mention that you will came as a result of truly the conversations that I had had with the college presidents that I had known. You know, we did primary research and they described what you're talking about as the greatest issue within colleges. And they would then whisper to me that we have no idea how to solve. And so when I left Examity, I always felt I've always been a social impact entrepreneur, but I wanted to do something even more meaningful if that was possible. So I wanted to tackle what I felt was the biggest issue around. And so that said, you know, what is this issue? I think it's pretty simple that students are are dealing with a lot of things. There's still stigma associated with getting help. The colleges have traditionally had campus counseling centers. And those centers are excellent in a lot of ways, but they are the traditional way that colleges have been helping students, where a student has to find the health center and the mental health portion of that, sign up for some kind of a session, maybe sit in a waiting room, depending upon how it's structured at a particular college. And I would just say that today, students want that, but they also need more than that. You know, I've always seen, like, as you say, like just thinking about it on a college campus, it's forgetting about what they have for a minute. What is it that they really need? And then how can we solve that using technology to drive the solution? Because I think you probably know mental health in particular, health in particular, especially on college campuses, it has not necessarily been where they're putting the most resources on the technical side. You know, it's very traditional. So long answer to your question, a lot of people are having problems. Uh, It was happening before the pandemic. Uh, Certainly the pandemic has not helped the situation. And students have these needs. And more students are dropping out because of mental illness than any other reason. When you look at those students in particular, you find that most of those did not avail themselves of what was being offered on the campus. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of scary when the president tells you that this is a problem and we don't know how to solve it. But let me take a step back because I have two kids, I'm sure just like you, my son is in high school and my daughter, she's now a freshman in high school. But even in elementary school or middle school, they have mental health counselors on staff in elementary school, middle school and high school, obviously, in addition to just admissions counselors. So are you saying that In a typical university, there is no real on-site mental health advisors, counselors, coaches, if you will? They do have those. I think the main issue is that students do not necessarily want to access those services in a traditional way. So does a student who is feeling down because they're having trouble with a roommate 
is their next step. I think I'm going to go to the behavioral health center and see if there's a counselor I can talk to. It's a big step for them. And so in my opinion, that is a very needed resource that schools have. But if they were going to market them aggressively, they couldn't possibly hire enough counselors to meet the needs that the students are having, even if they would come freely to that center. So to me, it's about what does a student really need? In in my opinion, it is they want to be able to go online and receive immediate access to a licensed therapist based upon their needs and their preferences. And if they can do that, it's very powerful and it will go a long way for those schools that are willing to take the next step to helping students in that manner. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there's two parts to it. Number one, definitely, there is a certain level of stigma attached to a mental health problem, whether it's depression or suicide or just general anxiety. I think we as society have to become better at accepting that just like you accept that you have diabetes or blood pressure or cancer, you can accept that you have an anxiety problem or bipolar disorder. There's nothing different about these disorders. But I want to take one step back from it as the source for it. Because when you look at you know Ivy League campuses like Princeton or Stanford, I have anecdotal evidence. I know that there's statistical evidence to back it up as well, that the depression rates at Ivy League schools is highest than any other college. And also any good mid-Ivy League school is higher as well. And is the reason for these problems because of the stress that the student is going through? Or is it because of the state of life they're in as as being teenagers? What are some of the trigger conditions that make students be in compromise in a mental fashion right now. I like the way you're thinking about it in particular, because I do think, number one, it is the state of mind they're in as young adults. I think that is, you know, if you ask experts in the field, they will say that that population, let's just say the 18 to 21 year old, and I realize that's a traditional student, but that population is where more issues surface than at any other time. So I do believe that's part of it. I think in addition to your point around the Ivies, when we look at our client base, we find that 64 to 87% of the students that are using us are there for anxiety and 35% to 71% are there because of depression. Those are staggering statistics in my mind. And then to your point, academic concerns are number one. So it's the perfect storm. You're going to have a challenge. It's going to be around then for most people. You have anxiety and depression that are very common at that time. And then you have schools that are pushing people pretty hard. And I would also say there are people who know far more than I about this, but but you can certainly cite the fact that students and the way they lived at home is one way, whether that's getting parental support or other types of support. And then they're going off to a college and they are for the first time being able to find a new support system. So putting all that together can be daunting on an individual. Yeah, I think that is definitely the most important factor that I kind of recognize. The the fact that 
until you're 18, you are at home where you have at least one parent or two parents that are there to support you through your ups and downs and always tell you that, you know, you are right and the other person is wrong uh-huh. <laughs> or whatever. Our, you want our to children tell. are almost the same age, by the way. So <laughs> exactly. I, so anyway, so whatever lies we can tell our kids are truths for some times right. to make them get past it does not happen in the real world, right? College is kind of that immersive experience where you have to face your battles by yourself with minimal or no support. I can't even imagine what that feels like. I want to ask a tangential question about the anxiety and depression rates in America when compared to other nations, developing or otherwise. Do you think United States is an exception to the norm in the level of depression, anxiety, or is it par for course? Because, you know, I do understand in developing nations like India or, you know, Africa, nobody really cares about depression, I guess, uh, because, you know, you're really dealing with, you know, food on the table type issues. But is it more of a developing nation problem? Is it more of a United States problem? Can you elaborate on that? I can try. You know, I think that people are people regardless of where they come from and where they reside. I think stigma is real. And in some countries, to your point, they don't really recognize these mental health issues as sicknesses, which which is really what they are. And so I do believe that affects the statistics associated with what might come out of particular nations. Because we are truly worldwide in what we offer, you know, we do see some of that data and we work with people all over the world. And, you know, sometimes I actually try and read into the data, like you said, more anecdotally. And and you'll say, well, why are these, you know, so many international students, why do they have needs in America, but in their country, they don't? And then you think, I mean, it's pretty unbelievable that they are coming to a different country to go to college. I mean, so they're doing something so significant that there's no surprise that they're having these types of challenges. So in my opinion, I don't believe there are differences among the nations. I just think it's at what level people are willing to get help and admit they're having challenges. And in America right now, on one hand, I want to say we are doing better than we ever have before and more people are availing themselves of counseling. But, you know, I do know we have schools where there are specific groups that are apprehensive and don't want to get counseling, which basically means we've come so far, but yet we're not that far. And I think that's one of the good parts about doing what we're doing. We believe that we have the ability to to make people better by admitting that they're having challenges and, and working hard to get better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the reason why there is stigma is obviously everybody knows this is because until Freud started looking at mental health as it is and as something that can be resolved by having therapy or discussion, people were saying, if you have a mental problem, you just get a shock or you're possessed by demon or whatever stupid stuff people believed in. So 
I think that those stigmas still affect us. And that's why I think there is there. But enough about that. I want to talk about you, Will, because your mission is really amazing. You will has modernized and enhanced the current mental health campus offerings by creating a two-sided technology-based platform connecting students with experienced mental health professionals for and when the need arises. You know, the mission itself is very promising. I like the concept. It is a two-sided and also technology-based platform. First of all, let's talk a little bit about how you came up with it or how you have designed it, and also some of the successes and challenges you're facing with this new initiative. I had mentioned a bit earlier that it truly came as an outgrowth of the conversations that I'd had with college presidents, and, and that was the originator. So when we started out, we didn't exactly know how we were going to help people. So we started out you know, with what I thought was, okay, well, if we can create a platform that is secure, and we can create a platform that facilitates all the modalities of teletherapy, and that's video and phone and chat and message. Originally, I said, that is going to be incredible because people are going to be able to get access to therapists in this manner, and that'll be really good. Well, what I saw almost immediately was if we tapped into the same therapist networks and healthcare networks that everyone else was, that we would never be able to accomplish our goal because those individuals, number one, don't have any availability for the most part. And number two, they are unwilling to share their schedules with a third party so that people can have immediate conversations with them or scheduled conversations with them. So because of that, I said, okay, well, then I guess we have to make our own network, which was not the original intent of the business, but it became integral because that is a differentiator. So the platform facilitates also those professionals to gain access to students. So to your point, it is truly two-sided. And so when we got that network of therapists together in all 50 states and in many countries, a growing number of countries, that allowed us to not only have the technology that gives students some level of access, but it allowed us to close the loop and say, you know, if my son went on and and wanted to talk to someone tomorrow at two o'clock about his anxiety and he wanted a male therapist and he was in Massachusetts and he was looking for someone who had a particular understanding and working with athletes, as an example. Well, my son could do that. He could go on. He could get access to that and actually read about three individuals that match him. We use some AI in the matching process, which I, you probably know more about than I do. And therefore, we, he would be able to say, I like this guy. And I click. And then at 2 o'clock, he could use the system to have that subsequent conversation. That is the difference. I don't believe that anyone else has taken it quite as far as we have. And, and that's what makes us different. And it's now educating the schools that the reason not everyone else is doing what we're doing is because it's really hard to do, but it's the right way to do it. And it's the way that people are going to feel better the fastest. And, and that's what people want because we want people healthy and we certainly want them to finish school. Yeah, I think that's really good to know because when I was reading initially about you, Will, my initial reaction was, well, this is just like betterhelp.com because there's a lot of tools out there where you can connect to a 
therapist and the therapist gets on interview with you and talks to you with, with the clarifications you've given me that this network is a your own and also built specifically to support students with specific student-related problems, whether it's roommate issues or boyfriend or girlfriend issues or educational issues, that makes a completely different, different approach. And that's a core differentiator. Can you talk to us a little bit about what are the differences between being a therapist in BetterHelp versus being a therapist at will, if you will? So I can't say I know everything about BetterHelp, but I do know other online platforms that exist. So I'll try to sum them up into one. Generally, those are people who are looking for extra hours and they will go on that platform and they'll essentially help people and they're good. I think anyone who's in the industry is good. For us, what makes it a little bit different is when someone's a therapist with us, they are committing real hours to our system. They're also putting their schedules into our system so that when you find the right therapist for you and it says you can get that therapist at four, five or six o'clock tonight if you want that therapist, you know that works because the therapist has already said, I'm open to you four, five or six o'clock. So we have the ability to close that loop. And I think that that is the difference overall from anyone else from what I can see. In addition, you you touched upon the fact that our therapists are student-oriented. Our system that they work on is, you know, we work in a credit system, much like the way students understand credits for school, then they have teletherapy credits for us. Messages are fewer credits than scheduled chats, and videos are more credits. And, and so we've we've put together this wellness environment that really does help students also effective January 1st, uh, we are going to offer group therapy as well as meditation and motivation, all also in group as part of our wellness environment. And that is going to be another differentiator. Therapists can offer more traditional counseling via teletherapy, but they can also offer group work. And so we're creating this environment for these therapists. You know, they share ideas. We're trying to build a family of the therapists. You know, they are working with us on a number of different things. We help them to get their continuing education credits. Uh, Some of them are actually free if they work with us because we recognize that it's mutually beneficial if they are able to become further educated and be able to help students even more. So to me, the difference is that we've put the whole thing together. We focus specifically on colleges and students and Uh, We've built really a great family of therapists who don't let students down. That can't be underestimated. You know, if you utilize some of the systems that are out there, and you're talking about, by the way, some of the more technical ones, you know, you go and, and it's possible that a therapist doesn't show up. That would almost never happen with us. I mean, they understand what we're really doing. I think the real competition, however, is with more of the traditional solutions. Those are the tougher ones because they many times don't have availability. They many times are trying to go through insurance. You think you need to talk to someone about your roommate issue, as you pointed out earlier, and that issue is current. You want someone today. You want someone tomorrow. Well, by the time you get the referral to a person who may or may not be a fit because you were lucky to get that referral, a month can go by. 
months a long time in school days. And, and so if the objective of the university is to keep people mentally healthy, get people to pass their classes, get people to graduate, we're the ones who are focusing in on that. And we even with some schools are starting to measure that together. And we are going to be able to show that students that are using you well are more likely to stay in school, which is something that truly can't be underestimated. And that's why we work with schools that that really vary in, in how they look and feel from, you know, we work with the Massachusetts State School System. We work with one of the largest online schools in the country, you know, work with a number of small privates. We're really getting diversity in our schools as well as in the students that utilize you well. And that's because we have the diversity of the counseling staff on the other end, getting back to what makes our staff different. You can actually search on gender. You can search on ethnicity. You can search on language. So those are things that, uh, you know, others, they wouldn't dare try to tackle. I really like the way that you're adding SLA, if you will, like service level agreement and also the student centeredness of it. So talk to me a little bit about, because you said something about insurance and you said something about the cost model. Is the university subscribing to Ubel? Is the student subscribing it on a per hour basis or on a monthly basis? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. So the university is the purchaser of Ubel and they are purchasing some number of teletherapy credits for each student. And what that means that, you know, in layman terms, it's basically they're purchasing some number of sessions for each student. And it's not an expensive solution. And some students will use it and use it a lot. Some students will try it. Some students are just happy it exists. And for us, you know, we're just happy to be there for the students when the students have need. And we are always ready and available 24-7, 365 days a year. And so that's the, that is the model. And the system facilitates the drawing down of credits at the individual student level. And some schools take a more comprehensive approach to what we're doing. You know, we have some schools where we are their counseling. This is what the school offers. Uh, in most cases, however, we are a complement, which is really good because then we can collaborate closely with what's happening on campus. And we like that. That's the way we were originally designed. We think there's a lot of value in face-to-face counseling for some individuals who choose to go on campus. But we also think that there are challenges with that model. What we're seeing is 65% of the people that we work with are after hours or weekends. So those places are typically not open and we're getting the majority of the people during those times. On the other hand, 35% are still doing it during the school day. That's the way the business side of things work. And uh, we try and be just extremely flexible and quite frankly, not expensive. Our goal is to help as many people as we can. We're not trying to get wealthy on a counseling session. So the thinking is if we can help more and more people, and do it in a very cost-effective way, in a way that's easily accessed by the students and complements the work that's being done on campus, that you know we're on to something. We just got our uh, 35th school. They're coming pretty fast and we haven't, we haven't been in business for five years. You know, we're, we're fairly new, but people like the way we're going about it. 
That's great. I think I like the idea of university purchasing credits because, you know, I think things like you're doing, especially around mindfulness or group therapy are really powerful for students as they enter adulthood. Because as much as we want to look at it as a mental health issue, it's also a preparation for adulthood. The crises you see about boyfriends, girlfriends, roommates, or enrollment or academics will not go away when they become adults. If anything, they only get worse when you go to work because your roommate becomes your cube mate or other issues that we need to deal with. So preparing for them for life by allowing them to understand that this is part of the natural order of things and also diagnosing real health issues and troubleshooting them and solving them is really good. So I think the wellness programs are just as important or more important for some students because that allows them to preempt the real problems of whether it is, you know, psychotic breakdowns or panic disorders or any number of issues that can come about. So I like that a lot. And I like the core differentiator, obviously, as well. But I want to talk a little bit about you as well, because you said it yourself that you don't want to be rich doing it, because it is true. Anytime you work in higher education, the sales cycles are protracted. The buyers are defragmented. It's it's a lot of constraints with respect to a typical business model. But from looking at your own profile, you've been not only working in higher education by Kaplan and Examity and now with Ubel, but also definitely being successful, but it does look like you're committed to higher education. What drives you? What are the, some of the reasons why you are committed to the welfare and success of students? Probably starts from my experience as a high school student myself. You know, I grew up in an area that was okay, but our high school, you know, just more than half of the people went off to college. And I was always just really interested in the college process. And that's what prompted me to start my first company a while ago now uh, called College Coach. And then you mentioned Edisist, and it just grew from there. What, what I found was that when you have technology-driven solutions that are on a campus, number one, something you mentioned earlier on, you start to understand the students so much better. And the technology is truly transferable. It is not that different you know, right now, I would say learning is further ahead than what you're seeing in health and mental health. On the other hand, it's not that different. It needs to be accessible. It needs to be HIPAA and FERPA compliant. It needs to, by the way, to your background, it needs to maybe know how to integrate with an LMS, a student information system. Maybe it needs to have a single sign-on with their intranet. These things are commonalities. So for me, being able to transfer the past successes that I've had to different areas of an institution is really helpful. It gives us a real advantage. We understand schools a little bit better, you know, and I didn't want to say this before, but honestly, when you think of like the better helps and, and these others, they don't know a lot about schools, you know, in their mind, schools are a channel. Oh, it would be great to sell to schools because they have a lot of students. And if we get all these students, we'll have a lot of users and then we'll make more money. Now, we do that too, kind of, but schools aren't a channel for us. That's what we are. This is what we do. We work specifically with schools. If someone says, we're using Blackboard, we're using Canvas, we move to Schoology, we move, we get all that. We know what they're talking about. I think that makes us really different. We're not just a digital health company. 
we're an ed tech company that happens to be in digital health. And so to me, those were all things that contribute to how we think about schools and students and help us to be successful. In any of the ed tech companies I've been involved with, our goal has never been, let's try to get rich. It's let's try to help students. Let's try to understand the customer. Let's give the university, you know, let's show them how focused we are on the university, on helping people. And the money comes. That's the way it works. It comes. If you do things right and you care deeply, the success will follow. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of times when you work in higher education, it's never about making a lot of money. It's And I feel like at least the same thing with me. Whatever growth or financial stability that we get out of it is just a side effect. That's never the real outcome. The real outcome is the potential we can have. For me, it's always about you know, if something I do can somehow directly or indirectly or even minutely or microscopically influence my kids' education or my grandkids' education, I feel like my life is fulfilled. You said a lot about the role of technology, role of single sign-on, integration with SIS and LMS. And I really like the idea that you're thinking that way. I feel that for any service to be affordable. It has to be accessible as well. It has to be available so that student, the same platform they're going to, to register for courses should allow them to sign up for a session with a therapist or sign up for a mindfulness session. But where are some of the trends that you're seeing, not only with respect to digital help or digital therapy or remote therapy, but also just in student wellness in total five, 10 years from now? I think that there will be one place students go to for support. And that one place, if I have anything to do with it, will give people immediate access to a person. So what could that be? I mean, it could be tutoring. If it was an adult student, it could be dealing with a childcare issue or an adult care issue or a financial issue. It could be mental health. And like you said, mindfulness, meditation, sleep. It could be anxiety and depression. It could be mentoring. So to me, there will eventually be that platform that sees the world in that way and recognizes that a student should be able to go to one place for all this stuff because truly they're interconnected anyway. If not, the student is going to a bunch of places and it doesn't make a lot of sense. It needs to be technology driven, of course, in my opinion, and it will take work. I will imagine it's not going to be something developed internally at a university, but rather it's going to be through an outside group or a handful of outside groups. And that will help people and they will have great data from that resource. And that will allow them to better utilize their spend in the future, and students will flourish. So that to me is where it's going. Right now, I think schools are putting their toe in the water. So with us, we're doing that, but we're doing it in what we're doing. We don't have everything, but it's not hard to add those things to what we're doing. And it wouldn't surprise me if you know three, four, five years down the road, that maybe we have about half of those things that I just mentioned. And, and then it'll be up to some big, powerful pirate institution to drive us to put more in this platform because the platform itself is key. 
the matching process is key, and that facilitation and ease of use is key. And I like the idea that schools will eventually put all that together. So bringing back the whole analogy about moving a high school student from home to college to adult life, you know, when you explain the whole thing, it feels like it's going to be like a digital parent type app. <laughs> Our kids come and says, dad, I have this problem or mom, I have this problem. They go to this. Uh, that doesn't mean that they will act as their dad or mom, but really one place they go to and the issue can be academics or wellness or just roommate issues or mental health issues, but they can always call this 1-800 number or go to this website to resolve it. I love this idea. I love the future. And I love the fact that you will is taking the first foundational steps to make that happen. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, I'm excited to be able to share, you know, the information that I have on your podcast. Great. Michael, thank you so much for joining the Illuminate Higher Education podcast. I've learned a lot from this episode and I look forward to continued success to you and you will in the coming years. Thank you so much. It was very nice to meet you again. Listeners, I'll post the show notes with links to Michael's initiatives, Michael's biography and Yuval's amazing success and their customers. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Illuminate Higher Education, sponsored by End-to-End Services and our Illuminate app. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. You can learn more about Illuminate app at illuminateapp.com and continue the conversation with us there. If there are any topics you'd like us to discuss further, please email them to us at podcast at n2nservices.com. That's podcast at and number two, and services.com. Thank you.